Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mamacita ever heard a 12-year-old sing so well as I have in this song, Donde Esta Santa Claus, one of the perfect songs to celebrate Christmas in July. You know, it occurred to me, this is going to be my last program with you in the month of July, and we have yet to celebrate Christmas in July. Christmas in July is one of the great American traditions, one of the great Christians traditions, and one of the great summer traditions. I really, I mean, trying to get through the month of July without celebrating Christmas, it's almost the equivalent of not celebrating Independence Day. Here to help us do it is someone that is an authority on many things related to Christmas, especially its literary history. Pamela McCall, uh, author of the book Twas the Night, The Art and History of the Classic Christmas Poem. Pamela, it's great to talk with you again. We usually chat in December. Hi, Frank. Yes, it's great to talk to you, too. Uh, Do you know anything about why we celebrate Christmas in July? How did that tradition begin? It started in a campground, actually, I think in Wisconsin. It uh, it was just somebody's good idea, and it's carried on. It's really flourishing. I just came back from Indiana. I was in Indiana, Tennessee, and uh, Kentucky this last week celebrating uh, Christmas in July, and, and uh, you know everybody came out for it. That's for sure. And uh, wh- what do they do to celebrate Christmas in July out there? Well, uh, read the poem, which is one thing I did. Uh, just have events and uh, decorate and have Christmas sales. <laughs> you even do Black Friday in, in July or Black Christmas in July and do sales. So I think it's just a chance to sort of you know bring out Santa and uh, and read to little children. Wonderful. Well, as I mentioned, you are the author of a terrific book, Twas the Night, the Art and History of the Classic Christmas Poem, and it delves into the wonderful, wonderful poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Remind us how uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas kind of got started and how it came to popular acclaim. And I realize, you know, we could talk for an hour about that. You wrote a whole book about it, but give us the Reader's Digest version. 
Well, it was 1822. It was written in Manhattan by Clement C. Moore, and then it was published for the first time on December 23rd of 1823. And this is the bicentennial year. So I was in Kentucky launching this national campaign, which, you know, will go on until Christmas Eve, celebrating all over the country. It's terrific. I'm off to Washington, D.C., August 12th, and then into New York for most of November and December with with a big party for the poem, um, which the public were invited to in Manhattan and Chelsea on December 19th. And, and then, of course, Troy, where the publish was the poem was published, uh, they're having 25,000 people. They're hoping to do the world record for the most number of people in a public space reading a poem. Wow. <laughs> There's wow. lots going on, lots and lots of things going on around the country. So it's really fun. It's, I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. And uh, everybody's really happy to celebrate it. That's for sure. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the bicentennial in uh, in a moment. But the fact that we're still repeating and children are still enjoying a poem uh, 200 years after it first popped up on the scene is pretty amazing. I mean, my neighbor is uh, a little boy, eight or nine years old, and I asked him the other day, he was looking at all the books that I have in my house, and he was asking me questions about the books that I have, and I asked him, what's your favorite book? And he said, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas.'" Without batting an eye, he knew that that was his favorite. What is it about this poem that you think holds up after two centuries? Why has it withstood the test of time? I think it's a sense of wonder in it, this wonderful personification of love and generosity and, and giving, which comes through Santa Claus. And, you know, he's such a loving character. And, and I think the poem is very magical and creative. And I think it's also extremely benevolent and kind. So it's Christian at its heart in that it's, you know, there's no birch and water. I think you and I have talked about this before. There's no punishment. There's no threat of the, mm. you know, naughty or nice. And there's no creepy elf reporting on anybody. There's just this loving character who comes and uh, and brings presents. And it's this sense of wonder that children are, you know, I think drawn to the poem through. I, I just think that's the big piece. It's, I mean, in many, many ways, it's Mickey Mouse and it's Jiminy Cricket. I mean, it's Disney. It's this whole American dream, you know, personified in a poem. So. In terms of the star of this poem, it's obviously Santa Claus. And I understand that there are some renewed attacks on Santa Claus on religious grounds. How come? Well, I I contacted you because I was kind of astounded by an email I received from a museum and they said, we're returning all of your books because we've made a, you know, a decision at the executive level to not carry anything that personifies, you know, that has a religious character on the cover in that Santa Claus is a religious character. And I, and I thought, wow, you know, he's, Santa Claus is being booted out of a museum. <laughs> That's just not on at any what, level. What museum was it? Uh, Berkshire up in, uh, up in Massachusetts. And and I just I thought you know you're wrong you're wrong on so many levels um, you're wrong because first of off uh, Santa Claus is an elf and he's not a religious character he's a he's a fictional character uh, who's an elf <laughs> you know and I, and I think if you start booting elves other places you're going to have a really big problem but I uh, I looked it all up too you know as far as the legality of it and actually under the Constitution. Santa Claus is a secular character, and he's allowed in public buildings, um, and he's encouraged in public buildings. So I think they were just flat out incorrect. 
I find this to be absolutely insane. Had you ever heard this objection to your book or Santa Claus in general before? Definitely. It was in the 1980s, and it actually went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that Santa Claus is a secular character, and Santa Claus is allowed in public buildings. He's actually encouraged because it um, provides for freedom of religious expression as well. So if you have Santa Claus or a Christmas tree, you can then have a manger, you can then have cross, you can have anything you want. Um, so it's it's you know, constitutionally, he's allowed in public buildings and in schools. I also found a school that booted him out. They had an announcement that said, oh, beware all teachers. You know, this Christmas, we're not putting up any um, Christmas symbols in our windows or in our classrooms, and that includes Santa Claus. You know, I mean, that's just wrong. It's just completely wrong. It's, <laughs> you know, under the Constitution, it's wrong, and freedom of expression freedom of speech, freedom of religious expression. <laughs> Just, you know, it's um, so important, I think, that we don't take apart our culture. <laughs> and I think that Santa Claus is a big piece of American culture. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. What did you say to the museum when they told you this? I said, I wrote them back and I said, I'm disappointed, but I'd also like to let you know that you're wrong and under the Constitution um, and the findings of the Supreme Court in the 1980s that um, Santa Claus is allowed to be in a public building. And I um, quoted them the the decision made by the Supreme Court by Justice, um, the Supreme Court Justice Warren Berger. And I'll just read it to you quickly. It's just a couple sentences. I think it'll really help everybody. I think your listeners might be interested. Um, The the Supreme Court Justice uh, read, it wrote, it would be ironic if, as part of the celebration of an event acknowledged in the Western world, for 20 centuries, and in this country by the people, the executive branch, Congress, and the courts for two centuries, would so taint the exhibition as to render it violative of the Establishment Clause. To forbid the use of this one passive symbol would be an overreach contrary to the nation's history. So I think that sort of sums up pretty well. What did the museum say when you sent back to them that Supreme Court quote? I didn't get a reply. Unbelievable. I didn't get a a reply. I know. Um, You know, really fascinating. Like, the other thing that's really interesting, the song you just played, songs including Christmas carols and and religious-themed carols are permitted under the American Constitution to be sung in a school. Um, That was the other ruling that this court had, um, you know, and so anybody who comes after any of these Christmas songs as well, um, they're just completely illegal, you know, wrong on a legal basis. And the reason for that is that they advance the knowledge of the country's cultural and religious heritage and should be allowed. Um, that was the ruling of the court. Um, so, you know, really interesting. And the, and the Establishment Clause, I think people get confused thinking, you know, that no religious symbols can be allowed, but that's not at all correct. Um, that's a very limited reading of the Establishment Clause. We're talking with uh, Pamela McCall. Uh, you got to check out her book, Twas the Night, uh, the art and history of the classic Christmas poem. No better time to get it than at Christmas in July. You were talking about the bicentennial of the poem and this uh, December event. So Clement Clark Moore is actually going to be inducted into the New York State Writers Hall of Fame? Yes. We just found that out yesterday. And you're the first person actually to uh, publicly say that. Uh, the 
I nominated him, and I was just thrilled to find out that they said yes. And not only is he being inducted, he's the only person being inducted. Wow, that's terrific. <laughs> being, I know. That's why I'm being invited to Washington, D.C. The state of New York is doing their entire booth at the Library of Congress's National Book Festival for the celebration of Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's so great that they've decided to take this on because, as you may know, there's been some controversy over whether or not Clement Seymour actually wrote the poem. But there's new evidence that's come to light that pretty well, you know, solidifies that, um, that it was indeed him and that the authorship belongs to him. So I'm really, really happy about this. And I'm sure it'll upset a lot of people who, you know, have been trying to make the Livingston case, the Henry Livingston case, you know, case that he wrote it, but um, no, it's a very big acknowledgement. And, and Pamela, if in case people want to do their own adaptations of this particular poem, this poem is absolutely in the public domain, right? Sure, two hundred years old, so definitely in the public domain. Yeah. And people have done, you know, as you know, pirate editions and cat editions, and <laughs> it's been done like dinner. It's it's uh, out there in many many different adaptations and. I think there's about 2,500 book publications of the poem in its original form. It's a, you know, not only is it the most famous poem ever written in the English language, which includes all of Shakespeare, um, it also is the most published and illustrated and uh, collected book. So, you know, massive, massive, massive successful poem. <laughs> Just going back to the, the attack on Santa Claus on religious grounds for a second, in spite of what the Supreme Court says, I guess maybe there's some folks that may say, look, the court may say that, or Justice Berger may have said that, but uh, he's jolly old Saint Nick. There, it's right in his title. He's a saint, Saint Nicholas. Well, isn't a saint, isn't sainthood some sort of connotation of religiosity? Well, even if it is, I mean, the freedom of religious speech, and right. it's part of the culture of Christmas. And I think the bigger conversation needs to be is what is what is Christmas? I mean, Christmas, you know, has roots in Christ Mass. I mean, Christmas, right? But but is it a religious term anymore, or is it a cultural celebration that's entwined with all these wonderful? you know, threads through history and through religion. I mean, it's part of our culture, you know, and it, it you can't start unraveling that. It, it, it you know, it, it's just, you know, as, as he said, 200, you know, centuries and 20 centuries in, or two centuries in America, it, it, it needs to be, you know, maintained and, and enjoyed by people. I found this really fascinating document um, put out in January of 2021 by the federal government. It's called the the Public Building Service of the General Services Administration. It's a document that outlines what can and cannot be done in federal buildings. And what they decided, what they wrote, which is absolutely fascinating, is they say, we conclude that the GSA may, consistent with fiscal law and the First Amendment, broaden its policy to allow for the display of religiously significant seasonal decorations that are reasonably calculated to improve employee morale. So, there you go. You know, if it's good and people want it and it makes people feel good and it's part of, you know, celebrating and enjoying, you know, our culture, you're allowed to do it. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> I uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Pamela McCall, happy, Merry Christmas in July. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank. Okay, bye. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good morrow.